I remember him telling me that it was okay to be messed up. And it was okay to have messed up. But now it's my responsibility to get better and make things better. How did that make you feel? Terrified. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of courageous individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. So it's the light darkness? Is that... Fifty Shades of Darkness. (laughs) (laughs) Fifty Shades of Darkness. (laughs) Not quite. From darkness to life, it's the latest podcast of on OCJ. Uh, Welcome. I'm Poncho. My guest today, Robin Innes. Hello. Hello. You're nervous? A little bit, yep. How come? I don't know. Don't wear uh, headphones a lot of the time? Don't sit in uh, in front of a microphone a lot of the time? You know what? Or with people watching me? I've... (laughs) So I've I've been in radio for one or two years plus, you know, a couple of decades, and I don't know if it helps. I still get nervous every single time I talk into a microphone, so I'm nervous right now, believe it or not. So the one thing I do, and and I know we have, uh, you know, some of our founding OCJ members right here. Nice to see you guys. Ryan, Rick. High five. If I can offer any advice, pretend they're not here. Okay, just pretend that you're talking to your best friend into a telemophone, sell them a phone. Sounds good. All right. Uh, so let's start right there. Uh, what brings you to OCJ? How did you hear about it, and why are you here? Um, well, I heard about it from Facebook. Okay. Um, I saw a familiar face on Facebook, Rick Armstrong. Um, I've known Rick for many years, <clears throat> and uh, we've known each other in different states of mind many times. <laughs> So when you say different states of mind, you mean sober and non-sober. Right, yeah. Right, okay. Regardless of whatever those vices were. So it started off, you were on the Our Collective Journey Facebook page, Mm -hmm. and you were reading some of the incredible stories from the amazing, courageous people Mm -hmm. that posted their stories. And is that one of the reasons why you're here? Do you feel like you Um, need to share yours? Yeah, definitely. Good. Um, I think that you see these big tattooed bearded guys and uh, people forget that there's some school drop-off mums and soccer mums that are kind of in the same position. Maybe don't um, think that they should be reaching out. Maybe don't think that they have a problem. You have a really good point. It, it, it doesn't matter what you look like, what you wear, what you don't wear. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter if you live in a golden palace. We all do the same things, right? And we all struggle with the same issues. And the fact that you're here today to share your story will provide a lot, a lot of courage for those that haven't shared the story for those that are struggling because the more that we promote mental health and that's okay to speak and it's okay to talk about it where we encourage you to speak your mind here at ocj it benefits well anyone and everyone that listens so thank you for being our guest today yeah, um, thank you, you f- for having me you filled out anytime you might regret that here at the end of the <laughs> probably um so Let's back up, okay? So I was reading some of your bio and some of the information that you 
submitted. You said uh, growing up as a kid, normal, normal childhood, no, no issues. You were fairly happy, normal. Lucky. Yeah, fairly yeah. normal. We, you know, I come from a family that um, was probably abnormal. Actually, that's when everybody started having parents that were divorcing. I've got parents that have been married for more than fifty years. Um, the only thing that was different is that my oldest sister has Down syndrome, and uh, she's. She's made our life different, but for the better. Yep. So we, I've always said that we actually lucked out. Um, sorry. That's okay. That's all right. She's Kay. probably the only thing that makes me emotional. What's your sister's name? Um, my sister's name is Tammy. She's um, in her mid-50s, and so she's quite a bit older than me. Sure. Um, but she's just that person that... Um, always walks around with a smile on her face and makes everybody's day better. I can hear the love in your voice so, <laughs> as you talk about her. And, and you're Tammy's guardian as well. I am, yeah. yeah. Was she, um, I'm her guardian because, thank you, um, she now has, in the last few years, developed um, early onset Alzheimer's. And um, my parents are both in their 70s, and we needed to make sure that she has somebody to... Um, watch out for her and be her spokesperson um, for as long as we have her. So, so is as a guardian, is this all new to you? Um, not really. We haven't really changed um, any structure. Sure, I'm signing signatures on things that I'm not used to. Um, we also are making decisions as a group, me and my parents. Um, we, we always kind of have, but more so now because there's a legal aspect to it. What made you so sad the moment you brought up your sister? She doesn't make me sad. She makes me proud. Okay, sorry. So sorry, I've got sorry. emotions very close right. to my surface. Well, you're right. Surface. I, I, I used the wrong, mm -hmm. and this is a good example as well. Tears don't always mean no. sadness, do they? No. So they were tears of love. Absolutely. This is how much you love your sister. Absolutely. All right. So those are good tears. Mm-hmm. Your childhood, were you a, uh, a party kid? No. Um, <clears throat> my dad actually... Strangely enough, my dad worked for the liquor board um, before they privatized. So he started working for the liquor board um, when he was 18 and worked. That's all I knew my whole life. But I was never a drinker. I was never, I was a sports kid when I was in elementary school and um, I grew up in Edmonton. And um, when I was a young teenager, we moved to Spruce Grove and... Uh, the sports kind of went away, and I started hanging out with the drama kids, and um, we we really stayed out of trouble until high school. Nothing really like I wasn't I wasn't one that fell into anything really bad. You were doing the right things. You I was were trying. Yeah, you were hanging out with the right people. Mm -hmm. You had a really really good upbringing. I did. Yeah. Uh, does any mental health issues or any addictions run in your family? Um, addiction, yes, on both sides of my family, but nothing that I grew up with. So that's where in the last few months I've really started learning about the genetic aspect of it because, you know, you see a lot of people growing up in alcoholic homes or um, dealing with alcoholism or drug addiction their whole life, but that's nothing that I ever, I never saw. You know, my parents... Yes, they drank, but it was never anything to never excess. Never out of control. Absolutely not. No, like a, a social kind of. It was. It was what 
we now call normal drinkers. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's normal, right? Yeah. I mean, especially in that's in this day and Absolutely. age, it's yeah. very relative. Mm-hmm. Did you start drinking? Um, not until I was, you know, um, when we were in high school, obviously we would go to parties and we were always looking for that 18 year old that would buy that horrible draft in a jug that we could take to parties. But I was one that would nurse a glass all night. I hated the taste of alcohol. So why did you drink? Why did I? Yeah. Well, I literally carried a glass around all night. I probably didn't drink. I was the one keeping track of all of my drunk friends. Okay. Um, It wasn't until I turned 18. We moved um, to Medicine Hat when I was 18, and I had no friends. And um, when I started my first job, it was a retail job, I met a couple people. They asked me to go out, and I was ecstatic. Like, I was starting to make friends. And what do you do in Medicine Hat? You go to the bar. Well, you do that anywhere, don't you? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Socializing and libations tend to go hand Mm -hmm. in hand a lot of the time. And so so happy hour rolls around, you go the co-workers for a couple? Yeah. Yeah. And it was never anything that um, at first was really out of control. But I did grow up with extreme anxiety, which I now know. I was always talked about when I was a child as deathly shy. But now that you hear the word thrown out and the definition of... Um, I had extreme anxiety as a child, and uh, I realized that my nerves would be really, really bad before we would go out to do anything, and so, of course, you pre-drink before the bar, and then I was feeling fine. Sure, it takes the liquid courage, Absolutely. How bad was your anxiety growing up? Can you give us an example? Um, Yeah, I had really bad physical symptoms. You know, we would go into big crowds, and I would instantly get physically ill. I'd start sweating. I'd start feeling like I was going to throw up. And I never knew what the problem was. My parents never really, they just chalked it up to me being shy and not liking social situations. But um, the older I get and um, the more, like I say, you just hear the word actually thrown out a lot more. Um, And you learn that, geez, I've actually been struggling with anxiety probably my whole life. When did you realize you had anxiety? When did, when... When did you find out it was anxiety Mm -hmm. that you were dealing with and just not shyness? Yeah. Um, I was working in a clinic um, as a medical office assistant and um, had really like, I would get really paranoid. That was like the stem of my anxiety. Somebody would look at me the wrong way, I would think. And uh, then all of a sudden the voices in my head would start like telling me that I'd said something wrong mad at me and, and, uh, one day I heard somebody say something about anxiety and kind of what it meant. And I went up to one of the girls that I worked with. I was like, do you know, I think I have anxiety. And I've known her for like three months. And she's like, you didn't know that? (laughs) No. She's like, I knew that from day one. You know, like clinical, textbook, anxiety sufferer. It just never, but it made kind of like that puzzle that last puzzle piece kind of was put into place. It was like, yeah, okay, that's exactly what this is. It's not shyness. It's not, it's, there's probably an aspect of social phobia, but it's 
definitely full-on anxiety. Well, and we know now that there's a collaboration between alcoholism or drug addiction mm-hmm. and anxiety, and the end result is is never, ever, ever positive. Right. That's what we run to, to, I, I guess, cover things up, find some temporary belief in ourselves that we can mm-hmm. fix this. You grow up with anxiety. Aside from that, you have a a fantastic childhood. Mm -hmm. So you're now 18, you have a job, you have some friends, you're into social drinking, Mm -hmm. nothing crazy, you're still coming home, you're remembering all of your nights, and I think this is something that everybody can attest to, right? Very normal kind of life in the respect of what normal is. When did you start drinking more? Because you're sober now, you don't drink at all. I don't drink at all. So, what led you to that choice? Uh, I don't think it was a choice. I think it was just a natural progression. Um, I spent, I can't imagine how much money um, just in the bar. I was working basically to support my bar life. But it was never, I never saw it as a problem. We were just young and we were having fun and that's what everybody else was doing. And so why would it be a problem? So you just went to the bar every week, wait till you, the paycheck, yep. right? You don't have a family yeah, at this night, stage the of the paycheck game. paycheck was gone. Sure. Yep. You got to pay for rent and food and the rest is disposable income. Yep. And again, this is something very common amongst, mm-hmm. you know, very young adults. Yep. How long did this carry on for? This kind of lifestyle? Yeah. Um, well, this carried on until I met my husband. Um. So we were, I was 20, well, I was in my early 20s. I don't even know how old I was when I met him, but we met at the bar. Sure. Right? And so, like, it's not that he's not a drinker. He's just a different type of drinker. What do you mean? Um, well, at that point, it never really, we were still young and we didn't have kids and um, it never really never really surfaced until probably a couple years ago but um now when i look back on it i just don't have an off button i don't know when it's time to stop i don't get that and is that why you did stop absolutely yeah when so when did you realize that your drinking was becoming more progressive Uh, probably not until this last year really yep Wow. So from 18 until now, mm-hmm. or until last year, this is a very touchy question. Mm-hmm. How many years was that? I'm basically asking your age without asking your age. <laughs> <laughs> That's the top. Very diplomatic. <laughs> yes. oh, I don't know. I'm not shy. Um, well, it's definitely over 20 years. Well, 18, and I'm in my 40s now, so... Okay, so about 26 years, mm. give or take. Give or take, yeah. And so it took 26 years, less a year, to find out that things had gotten out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what made you start drinking? Obviously, so there's a social mm-hmm. aspect to it. Yeah. There's a shyness mm-hmm. aspect to it. When did it get out of control? Um, it probably has always been out of control. But you weren't working up hungover. You were waking up in well, in your own bed. So okay. what's what? No, yes. Well, you know, everybody has their has their bar stories. It's not. I, I never. 
I never was in trouble with the law. I always thought because I was keeping it above that I was able to hold down my job. I was able to pay my bills. I was able to not wake up in the drunk tank. I was okay. And this happens a lot, doesn't it? And maybe Rick and Ryan, we can get your your thoughts on this. When when we hear of addiction, whether it's drugs or mental health or anxiety, or in this case, alcohol, we automatically tend to think that it's people who can't keep it together. That's not the, that's not the case at all, is it? I mean, we're amazing at at masking all of these situations, and and you're a master of that too, Robin. From from what you told me. So how common is this? I, I would say this is more common than we'd like to think. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I have no statistical data to back anything up, just opinion. But um, I think the the vast majority of people that are suffering with alcoholism, addiction, mental health are, you know, and I'm using air quotes that nobody can see on a podcast, but um, <laughs> the majority, right? The majority of functioning um people are are out there right and the the people that we we tend to you know if you close your eyes and think of a drug addict that's not what they look like they look like you and me and you and 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 alcoholic same thing right um i think the vast majority of people that are out there would be again using those air quotes functional addicts or alcoholics or mental health people right and it's it's unfortunate and i think that's one of the big things we're trying to change is just change the narrative on what it what it looks like because until people identify for themselves what they are they're not going to be able to reach out for help because it doesn't discriminate at all not at all ever regardless of how you were brought up who you were brought up with your age your color none of it none of that matters so what was the trigger that made you quit um was was there a defining moment in your life and how did you quit one question at a time what was the trigger yeah well like i say it wasn't until this last year when it really kind of spiraled out of control um so i I was always the life of the party it started becoming the point where i would become the life of the party i'm gonna stop you there i think we competed for that title at a few parties well yeah yeah. (laughs) that's true we absolutely did were you wherever you were you ever sober when you were the life of the party no absolutely not no no you couldn't you couldn't be no when you were sober no because of the shyness slash anxiety yep everybody would say now robin's to the point where she can actually start the party's here now because I would have had enough drinks that my anxiety was quieted. So you made sure everybody had fun. Of course. So yeah. you felt a lot of pressure on you to make sure that. I don't know if there was pressure. I just liked that person. I was comfortable. I, I, growing up, I had I was a very chubby kid. After I stopped sports, and so that's my anxiety would always say that people are watching you because you're the big girl in the group. And once I had enough drinks, I didn't care. And that's the same as any sort of situation. You know, we'll go out to something where I don't know anybody. I'll have a couple drinks, then I'm fine. Then I can actually have a conversation with people. Yep. Sure. And I can mingle and I'm fine until I'm not. What happens when you're not? For a long time, I would be good. Um, the last few years, well, probably more than a few years, um, it would get to the point where people would be just like, it's time for you to go home. 
you know, I didn't have that, that thing that was in the back of my head saying, you've had enough. You know, I would always be the last one at last call, like ordering as many drinks as I could. Hmm. So it would last me until the bar closed. So it was, it, it, I never really had that trigger. It wasn't like, and then the next morning I'm waking up and I'm like, okay, who do I need to apologize to? Who's the first person that I text or call or, you know, would you, would you remember what you did the night before? Or are we talking up, and, up yeah. until the last couple of years? Absolutely. And that was probably good and bad in my books. You know, some days you don't want to remember what you did the night before. So it started off as just a social drunk when you were 18 or 19 yeah. years old, obviously progressed into something that was completely out of control. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were ordering handfuls and handfuls of shots at last call. Yeah. And so is that when you said it's out of, now you yeah. said things got out of control last year. Why do you think last year? Why? Um, well. Why it, not two years before? It's probably been more than a year that things really started getting into control. I've worked in healthcare for almost 20 years um, in the admin side. And uh, I, for uh, three years, I worked for a place that was really, um, now that I'm on the outside, I can see quite abusive. Um, Obviously not in a physical aspect, but um, just daily you were berated and bullied and, I couldn't say anything. They were the ones signing my paycheck. Yeah. Um, That is also the first place that, um, or the first place, that's the place that I was working when I finally actually um, found myself being medicated for my anxiety. And that's when the drinking actually escalated. And I think it was because it would, I would treat myself when I go home. I've had such a hard day. I've put up with these people all day long. I deserve a drink. And you're okay drinking by yourself? Oh, I wasn't by myself. I'd convince somebody to drink with me. Sure. <laughs> you yeah. can always convince somebody to drink with me. You just said you were being treated for anxiety at this point. Mm-hmm. So you're always trying to get a grasp on... Ang- so what were you doing yeah. to, you know... I actually got to the point at this job where I thought, I, I actually cannot show up anymore. That's how bad the anxiety and, was. And it was just, it was so, so bad. And I went to my doctor and I was just like in a puddle of tears and she's like I think you need to be medicated and it's just not anything that's really been in our family dynamics you just we never really medicated for anything like you I would pretty much wait until I was like on my deathbed before I would start any sort of like antibiotics or anything like that um we always joke when you're in healthcare you can be complaining about being so ill and you forget that you're working side by side with a doctor that can actually examine you. And it's the last, you're the last person that actually thinks that they need to be treated. And, 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 and so you were no exception. You thought you were fine. I, th- I had been managing it. So-called managing it my whole life through booze. Yeah. But yeah. you just didn't know it then. Absolutely. What made you stop? Did you seek help? Did you just wake up one morning and go, that's it. I'm done. Well, this last year, like I say, has been rocky. Um, I changed jobs, which was beautiful. I'm in a really supportive um, work environment now. I um, Are you still in healthcare? I am, yep. yep. Um, my husband was diagnosed with cancer at the beginning of the summer, and so we had a really um, rocky time with that. And I think that's where my drinking really started 
to get out out of control um, even more so than it was. So you have a lot of things coming at you at this point mm-hmm. in your life from pretty much every single angle, right? You've had anxiety since you've been a kid. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of led you down the road to drinking, which you had under control. At least you thought you had mm-hmm. under control. And then now you're the guardian of your older sister mm-hmm. who has Down syndrome. And you said just diagnosed with Alzheimer's as well. If, yeah, a few years back. Okay, yeah. right. So I can only imagine the burden that that added. Plus, you said your parents as Oliver mm-hmm. Loyalist, so I imagine you feel obligated to look after them as well. Yeah, they won't let me, but yeah. <laughs> and then and then you find out that your husband is has been diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, my daughter's graduating this year. So d- does she get to go to a real graduation? Not really. No. Not really. <laughs> no. I like every other kid right now. And knowing what anxiety is all about, did you feel somewhat responsible that in some ridiculous way that you felt that this was almost all of your doing, that mm. you were taking all of the blame for this? Well, you get to a point where you don't want to ask, but you keep on thinking, what else can happen? What else can go wrong? You know, you just feel like in this huge storm of chaos. Um. And did you think you could bury it with alcohol? Of course, of course. Well, my husband was up in Calgary Monday to Friday getting treatment. And he wasn't allowed to drink because it was a throat cancer. And uh, so I tried to get all my drinking out of the way during the week. So you would drink when he was in Calgary? Yeah. Yeah. Did he know you were drinking? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just don't think he realized how bad it was getting. Um, And then when he would come home on the weekend, then I'd... Just like maybe when I was out shopping, I'd stop at a pub and have a beer just to try and, you know, relax. It was it was pretty chaotic while he was having treatment. It was, um, you know, he wasn't well for a good couple, few months, probably six months. He wasn't really well for. And uh, so it was more just giving myself that escape. And I think that's what made it better is that it was that I was making it okay. Well, sure, right? Because there you are supporting your husband. You have a daughter to raise, mm-hmm. a sister to look after, parents that you don't want to worry about you. Mm-hmm. You're getting emotionally and, and verbally abused at work. Well, no wonder, Robin. Yeah. Right? You know? So how do you quit? Um, well, it came to um, a point where my husband and I were having a really rocky time and it was how long ago is this uh this was end of November early December of 2020 mm-hmm. okay and uh I was I was drinking a lot and I was just I felt like I was out of control my whole life was just going down the toilet but you're still functioning in in, in the eyes I'm of still the public eye up to, I'm still showing up to work that's about the functioning that I was I was getting, you know, like my daughter was being neglected in in so many words, you know, she was kind of on was she? the back, well, she was on the back burner because there was so much else going on and uh, she's not really one that, she's not one to admit that she needs something and uh, I think that was <clears throat> more to her detriment because it wasn't right in front of my face. And so, um, late November, we were, um, 
struggling and uh, I was drinking a lot and and it was probably a few months before that when my mom had sat me down and she's like I think that there's a problem and, so, are, uh, so are you drinking first thing in the morning and just hiding it when you go to work or, or no no I wasn't no I was it was all after work a lot of times I'd have a have a drink before I went home just to kind of like ease the chaos that I was but when you're done for come off and the slippers Absolutely. come on it was right to the bottle yeah yeah. Until the next day. Yep. And do it all over again. Yep. And again and again and again. Every day. So there we are. We're having troubles with your husband in mm-hmm. November. Your mom says, hey, look. Yeah. Something's up. Are you one to listen to your yeah. mom? No. Well, oh, I, I listen. Definitely, I listen to my mom. Um, but I thought she was crazy. Well, that's what kids think of But she parents. also grew yeah. up with a mother who was an extreme alcoholic. And so... So she knew the signs. She did, even though she was really, really young, she could see it, and, uh... Did you deny it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's... Anybody can tell you that they think you have a problem, but until you're actually ready to admit it, um, I think it kind of falls on deaf ears. I'm, I'm getting, I can see it, I'm, I'm getting, you know, big nods of the head from, from Ryan mm-hmm. and Rick going, yeah, and, and, until you admit it, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Right? So your mom says, you have an issue, you say, no, I don't. Mm-hmm. What happens after that? Well, then I was going to prove her wrong. How were you going to prove her wrong? Well, I was going to show her that I didn't have a problem, which actually made the problem get worse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because then I was hiding it. Then I started really hiding it. And I think that's when I started realizing that I did have an issue. But I, I didn't feel like I was the type of person that should have the issue. Because you know? you're you're, you got a lot going on in your world, mm-hmm. but you're still managing to keep all of your crap together. Yeah. At least from the outside right. looking in. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so, so. That, so then, so you don't think you have a problem. Mm-hmm. Your mom does. Mm-hmm. Does your husband, does your daughter, do your co-workers, does anybody else I think, s- suspect anything at this point? Yeah, I think my daughter thought I had a problem, but she didn't want to say it. Didn't want to upset mom. Right, absolutely. Sure. And uh, and she's got, she's got high anxiety as well. And, you know, it's, I think it's hard. You always worry about the other person. and uh, But she also worries about upsetting and so you do. You just feel like you're walking on eggshells all the time, making sure that everything's okay in your environment. Okay. So your mom knows something is up. Your daughter suspects something is up. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you're just still, you know, yeah, Ricky Martining it up, living La Vida Loca. <laughs> right? Wasn't that the guy who sings Living La Vida yeah. Loca? Okay. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a rock guy. I don't know a lot about. <laughs> so, so, so what happens after that? Um, then I had a couple days where I just felt like I couldn't be at work. I was, I felt like my, my world was, was coming to this screeching halt. I could see it was coming to an end. Not my life, but my whole, Every, yeah, my your, world. Yeah, your, your own personal yeah. existence in respect of what your own personal world Right, because you. all of a sudden I was aware that... It was a problem. It wasn't just this social, I wasn't the fun party girl anymore. Because I would even go out and 
choose to go home early because I just wanted to go and just be on my own. Yeah. Well, that's not okay. Okay. So then what happens? Um, I was, I had um, taken a day, a mental health day, and found myself down at police point in my car with a case of booze and just having a breakdown, an emotional and mental breakdown. And this is a work day? Mm-hmm. Middle of the afternoon at a park? Yep. The case of beer? Yep. Just you? Yep. What did you think that was... What was like? What was your intent? Why were you there? What What did I you do, think the? I don't really know what my intent was. I knew I couldn't go home because all eyes are on me. I just needed that time by myself. But then I realized the more time I spent by myself, the louder the chaos got in my head. Yeah, you're you're thinking that is going to do the opposite. Yeah, and I can't say that I've ever felt suicidal. Um, that's probably as close as I got to it and uh, felt like if I didn't do something pretty damn quick then I was going to lose everything so then you thought that you might you know death by suicide Mm -hmm. that was one of the options for you Mm -hmm. like we're all incredible very relieved to say the least that that's not the case. Very mm. relieved that that you are here. So that was the day. That was the defining moment. That was, yeah. So you sat there all day and got drunk in your vehicle. Yep. How'd you get home? Um, well, I drove. It's not very far from my house, but um, that was not before I reached out. Um, so I was literally sitting in the parking, well, just off of the parking lot of Police Point. And um, I have a group of girls that are, um, we're called the wine wenches. And uh, we get to, we try to get together often. Um, we all met working together and we all just, it's not all about booze, but that's what we would get together to do. And I, on my, on our Facebook page, reached out and I just said. That's how you reached out? Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I've got an issue. Robin, the moment you reached out, can you remember how you felt? I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. Because you put it out there. Because you, I put it out there, but I also felt like I was actually tattling on a really good friend. On yourself? No, on my alcohol. It was my best friend. It was my friend. It was my meds. It was my, my personality for many years. And it was the choice that... I made that day to let that go. Did your friends show up? Sure they did. (laughs) Well, I instantly got a phone call from Rick's wife, who was part of that group. And she just said, do you think that Rick could come and see you? And I did not ever think that I would hear words coming out of my mouth that said, yeah, please send Rick my way. <laughs> <laughs> but I said yes, and literally less than five minutes, and Rick was sat in my car with me in Police Point. And what did you tell Robin, Rick? <sighs> I think I just asked her if she was done. Done, done what? As in done, done with, with done the with chaos, the, okay. right? And I remember listening to her 
Like, I don't even know if you remember the conversation really, because I know what it's like to be in that moment. And, uh, and I remember listening to all of the things that were contributing, right? And all of the, and I, and I just heard it over and over and over. And I'm like, this is, I know this, <laughs> I know, I know everything you're saying and it's the same thing I felt and it's the same guilt and shame and it's, I know what this is. And I remember telling you the good news that you're going to be able to look back on today as the best day ever. Yep. And I remember you kind of looking at me like, yeah. sure. Right. And I'm like, no, I, I promise you. I promise you, you'll be able to look back on this as the best day ever. And, uh, I said, you know, the bad news is you're totally fucked. The good news is I know how to help you. Mm -hmm. And it was the same way I got help. And, uh, well, you don't pull any punches. You, you call it as you see it. Yeah. I think it's a bit of a blessing and a curse for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm not one to dance around. I'll just call it out. I'm, I'm not big on small talk. Well, I, I mean, you, you, you've lived it. We've all lived it in, in various degrees. And we all know that, ah, we'll just pull the sheep over this person's eyes. But until you actually come out and say, hey, look, I'm not beating around the bush. You got to get your shit together. That's what you do. And you're not giving people the option of trying to mask that up. They, you, they, I mean, no, they I mean, admit it right there. I, I was the master of manipulation, right? I'd fucking lied to people and, and bullshitted my way through up to that same point, mm -hmm. right? I, I know, I, I knew, I knew how you felt because I felt it, right? And I'm like, I, I get it. And I know. And I, and I think I told, like, uh, that's what I mean. I think it comes back to me going, like, are, are you done? Like, are you ready Are you ready to do something about it? Because you can sit here in your car and live this life as long as you fucking want. It's up to you. You can, I'm not going to be able to change that. Nobody around you is going to be able to change that. If you're done, I know how to solve this problem for you. And not even me. I know how to put you in a position to solve this problem for yourself, right? Yeah. Do you remember this conversation, Robin? I do, yeah. You do? You remember all of it? Um, I remember the most important points. Which was what? What What did you take away from that con that first conversation with Rick? First of all, that Rick was saving my life, <laughs> which did not make sense at all. Um, <laughs> um, I remember him telling me that it was okay to be messed up. And it was okay to have messed up, but now it's my responsibility to get better and make things better. How did that make you feel? Terrified. Terrified because, and it wasn't even him, but it was like just us having that conversation meant that I had to let go of that crutch that I've had my whole adult life. And is that what made you scared? Because up until this point, alcohol... This was my coping mechanism. This was your life. Yep. Up until this point. Yep. This is how you dealt with everything. Absolutely. We this celebrate, how, we grieve, we everything. Everything. This yep. is how you deal with your family, your friends, your work, yep. your hobbies. So then what happens? So, so you're terrified. Mm -hmm. Was there a sense of relief there? Was there a sense of, fuck, finally, it's out there in the open? Mm. It was. It was a lot just to even admit that there was... I come from a family and I've always been um, a control freak and a fixer. 
Uh, I come by it very honestly. So I think that's what took me so long as I kept thinking that I could fix it myself. But knowing that I had somebody that was going to help me and guide me and give me the tools that I was going to need, I thought it was going to be so hard. And that's, I think, what I was so scared about. I thought it was going to be so much work. And um, I just didn't know if I had the energy for it. You do? You're sober? Yeah. How long have you been sober now? Just over 90 days. Just over 90 days. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank really? You. Well, look at the smile on that yeah. face. Yeah. Huh? So how does that feel? It feels amazing. Um, I also am just over two weeks off of my anxiety medication. Off the meds, as, off the yeah. anxiety meds as well? Yeah. Looking back, did you think you needed to be on them? Uh, probably not. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know if the alcohol just created even more anxiety and chaos, clearly. Um, because that's not to say that somebody, just because they're medicating, are wrong. I think that there's different levels. I think there's different reasons. And there's obviously um, different um, mental health issues going on with others. So I never want to belittle um, being medicated. I just feel like right now, when I decided to come off of them, I felt like I could probably do my best to try. I just figured I'm going to try it. How did you get sober? Um, well, I stopped drinking. That's a good start. Let me clarify. Step let me cl one. Let me clarify. Step one. <laughs> so there you are, drunk in your vehicle yep. in the park, and you see a light of sorts going, mm -hmm. this is literally it. I, I cannot take any more mm -hmm. in this world that I've called my life. So you reach out to Rick's wife. Mm-hmm. Rick shows up, yeah. calls you out on it, yeah, and you admit to it. Mm -hmm. So then what? Where do you go from there? Um, so he um, he told me he was going to pick me up the next day and take me to a meeting. How did that make? And I, from the minute that he left my car, tried to figure out how I was going to get out of it. Because I figured that... Well, that's crazy. Boy, this is this part sounds very, very, very familiar. And I'm looking at Rick, and this is something that you've told me as well. How do you think I knew the move? Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> what got done to me. Yeah, because you knew yeah. you, you suspect. Did you suspect that this was going to happen? Hundred percent. It's yeah. It's common practice for me now. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't tell you I'm going to meet you there because I know you're not no. going to show up. I'm going to come and get you. Yeah. Yeah. So Rick shows up at your house the next day. Yeah. And are you still trying to find a way to scramble? Oh yeah, to not I was I was physically ill. I was so terrified, and um, I had I had made plans about what this was going to look like all night. And uh, so even now, even though that you've admitted it, mm -hmm. even though that you need, even though that you know you need to get sober. And this is addiction. Mm -hmm. it, even when you're not drunk, it tries to convince you yep. that you need, in this case, you need alcohol in your life to function. Yeah. Right. 
nor did I need um, outside help. Yeah. Because I could do it on my own. You're strong. Yeah. Right? You're looking after your your sister. You're looking after your man. You're looking after your kid. You got a job. You got a career. You got a house. You got a vehicle. You don't need any kind yeah. of help. Yeah. You got your shit together. Yeah. Or at and least we you really, thought, yeah, you thought. Yeah. And we you really did. never talked about yeah. our problems outwardly. You know, as a family, we would obviously talk with them talk about them inside but we didn't air our dirty laundry and so, that's exactly what i thought i was about to do so rick shows up at your house and you're like oh yeah he showed up <laughs> <laughs> so you've made the choice to get your crap together and join a 12-step program i was so scared i i was physically shaking the whole time the whole time i was there i did not want to speak i didn't want to make eye contact with anybody um when we showed up, I figured I was going down to this dingy basement with a whole bunch of greasy guys that came out from underneath the bridge that morning kind of thing. It's just stereotypical. It's what, we're, what it we yeah. grow up thinking we know. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't horrible, but I don't know how much I actually absorbed that day. I, I think I was still in shock that anything was even happening. And then he told me that he was picking me up again on Saturday. Did he give you the choice? No. No, Rick doesn't give choices. <laughs> he just makes a plan. But I thought that I could control that again, and I did. We were just talking about this the other day. I did everything in my power. Like, I'll drive. I'll just tell me where I'm going. I'll meet you there. Nope, he said, I'm going to pick you up. Rick's looking at you with pride right now, and, and <laughs> understandably so, you know. Um, are you proud? Is your family proud? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, been, it's, it's not been a hard journey. I really, like I say, I thought it was going to be so much work. Um, I also thought I was going to feel like shit. Let me ask you this kind of a trick question. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's not. So, looking ahead, do you think you're done with alcoholism then? I, I mean, do you think it's not an issue for you anymore? Do you, do you think that you can just put it back on the back burner going, yeah, I learned a couple of things, I know, I know I'm going to be okay. Or do, do you think that this is something that you're going to have to manage for the rest of your days? I think I, I take one day at a time. I'm not making any plans. I don't want to be arrogant enough to think that I've got this under control. I think um, there's been a lot of new education in the last few months, and um, I do make sure that I keep myself surrounded by people who um, have the same issues as me right now. That is what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. You go to the meetings, mm -hmm. which is a huge step. What else are you doing to make sure that you live a good positive life what are you doing to make sure that these things don't come creeping back i make sure every day that i take care of my shit um instead of letting it brew because i'm somebody who for my whole life has just let things kind of sit under the surface and they just bubble until everything explodes that's like a lot of us yeah, a lot of right. us robin yeah yeah and uh, so this program has really taught me about kind of cleaning up my day at the end of every day. And if you've got stuff to make sure you fix, you fix it that day instead of letting it continuously 
um, bubble under the surface. I um, I try really hard to um, just educate myself about the addiction and about the different aspects of addiction um, and how different everybody who may have addiction are. Um, not all of us look the same, yeah. which is what I figured. I also try to make sure that I reach out and I, um, I stay in contact with um, a lot of people from the meetings and, um, if possible, um, I try and help as many people as possible just just on the daily, just even it being reaching out and just saying hi. Sometimes just knowing that somebody's thinking about you, that you're not the piece of shit that you thought you were, and um, I but think it's really important. That people do care, mm -hmm. that you're not alone. Yeah, these people I've known for three months, a lot of these people, and I look forward to seeing them every week, they're sometimes more than once a week. They're pretty amazing people, aren't they? They are, yeah. How did you think your family was going to react that something was up yeah but now that you've admitted it what do you think did you have in your head a way you thought your family was going to react that was different from how they actually did react um not not really my mom and dad have always been super super supportive um i obviously have had to gain a lot of trust back because um i clearly created a different aspect to our relationship and same with my daughter I really had to and and I still feel like some days I'm still trying to prove that that even though I did mess up I'm trying to make things better um, I think I think I, you're doing that because you're a good mom I, th I think you think you're feeling like that because uh, yeah the last care, thing you, you want to do is so screw much. up your kids yeah right and so that's that's obviously always in the in the back of my the person that's maybe having the hardest time is my husband because we've always just drank together. Everything has been about, like like I say, celebrations, grieving, stress, fun, whatever. We just, we sit and have a few drinks and, you know, he's grieving his drinking buddy because I, I'm not that person anymore. Hmm. It doesn't mean that I'm not a fun person it doesn't mean i'm not you can't sit and have a conversation with me i just am not having it over 10 glasses of wine <laughs> or 10 bottles <laughs> do you find that that's taking you some getting used to absolutely in, in terms of how you socialize now without alcohol in your life yeah i'm sure that um covid's kind of helped in a way just because i haven't had to worry about putting myself into many social situations um but i also find that I'm not having an issue being around any sort of alcohol. I'm I'm not tempted. I'm not because I'm working on myself. It's not it wasn't something that I like craved. It was just something I couldn't quit once I started it. Um so you know, I people worried at first in my house that they were going to trigger me somehow. But I think as long as um I'm keeping my head on straight and keeping on the same track that I'm that I'm trying to stay on. I think I'm fine. I don't I don't get triggered by it's it's a different type of addiction. It's not I don't think there's some people that literally wake up and need that drink and can't get through the day mm -hmm. physically without mm -hmm. drinking all day. It wasn't that. It was the fact that because of 
Well, I have an allergy to alcohol. You used to uh, use alcohol to cope? Mm-hmm. What are you using now to cope? Um, well, I'm... <laughs> My my brain. Yeah. No, but because <laughs> alcohol was a huge yeah. part of your life, and now there's a void there, and that's not a bad thing. Yep. So what are you doing to fill that void? Do you find yourself garnering interest in things that you didn't before? Is this giving you an opportunity to pursue hobbies or pastimes? Mm. I think, especially at first, I was just trying to stay busy. I was just trying to keep myself busy, and I almost... Um, was going overboard just because like I just wanted my hands busy all the time I thought that that's what I had to do I think I was scared to actually get inside my head and uh, work on myself I find that I maybe I maybe have picked up I've always kind of liked doing things with my hands and baking and sewing and knitting and I've always liked doing that kind of stuff so it's it's more so that I'm just bringing that stuff back um, and, and that's what you're, you're throwing your passion into. Yeah. Go, go ahead and plug your little business there. Uh, I make dog treats now. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> well, what's the name of it? Come on. Is, uh, is it's it? called Bella's Bark. Bella's Barkery. Yeah. You on Facebook? I have a Facebook page. It's it's just attached, or it's I guess it's a group. Nice. I'm old. I don't know how to create pages. <laughs> <laughs> Are you friends with the OCJ page? I am. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, I normally don't do this. But I'm going to do it this time. Uh, Ryan, Rick, is there anything that you wanted to ask Robin? Or Robin, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? What I love about this podcast is the fact that, well, you know what? I, I think you represent such a huge part of the population or the people that are struggling with alcohol and the respect that, Hey, I still got a roof. I got groceries in my fridge. I got my shit together. I don't need to stop my ways at all. I think everybody has a different rock bottom. And a lot of times, especially when I first started going to meetings, I was like, Oh my God, like there's not a huge population of women in these meetings. Um, but I choose to go to mixed meetings because, um, you get different aspects, you get different opinions, you get different views. Um, but like, sometimes you hear some people's rock bottoms and you're like, holy shit, like, but instead of using that as a, well, I didn't get that bad, I look at it and I think, thank God that I decided to actually admit and get better now before I have before I've hit somebody else's rock bottom you know I was lucky I, I did not get in trouble with the law I did not lose my family I did not lose my house my car my whatever my job because that happens a lot it does and and when I look at it I think I I am lucky because I let my rock bottom be a little bit higher than somebody else's hit not making that a judgment at all you know but um well and, and ryan and rick they've both tested several times before you can get better you all have to have that low that yeah. absolute rock bottom before before you realize and mine was literally just the thought of losing mm -hmm. it all absolutely and i i
can relate to so many pieces of your story. Obviously, you're female, I'm a male. That part we talked about, that doesn't matter. The feelings that come with addiction and alcoholism, we've all experienced them, and so many of them are similar, right? We finish each other's sentences lots when we talk about ours, but one of the biggest pieces, well, there's three pieces to your story that I recognize in my own story, and that's the normalcy of drinking, and for me, it was drugging, and how I used, man, one of the things that jumped out at me was how I celebrated with alcohol, I grieved with alcohol, I did extracurricular activities around alcohol, everything was normalized, and everyone I hung out with did the same thing, so it was next to impossible to recognize that maybe that's becoming a problem. So that was one of the big pieces. And then the, um, like you just talked about, everybody's rock bottom, right? And it's that certain culmination of like these existential circumstances that come together and impact our ability to cope. And that's what makes everybody's rock bottom differently, right? What, what affects me and brings me to my bottom might not affect you. And you kind of touched on that is, you know, holy cow, I'm glad I didn't get that far down. Well, that's, that person has a massive ability to cope with their crisis situations or they're normalized to them. Whereas, you know, that impacts me separately. It impacts you differently. And we all reach that rock bottom at a different time, which leads to the biggest piece, I think, in all our stories is surrender. Like when we recognize that self-recognition piece that, man, my life is going downhill and there's a few alternatives to this. And one of them for me was suicide or we burn our lives to the ground or whatever that looks like at the end. But surrender is the biggest piece. And that's the hardest piece is to recognize it and throw your hands up. Cause I don't, I don't know about you, but my whole life I was taught, you don't surrender, you don't lose, you don't quit, you go, go, go. And now the opposite in order to win, I have to surrender. I'm like, what is this? But it was the best thing I ever did was throw my hands up and say, I need help. I think it's about objectivity, mm-hmm. you know, when, and when you're, willing to quote surrender you're opening up your mind to all of the options that are available at you because i think before you that you think oh it's my way or nobody's way for sure you know um robin i don't know if 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 you realize being here today the ripple effect that you have started I actually wrote it down. I think it rolls off the tongue nicely. The Robin Ripple effect. I'll take it. And and by sharing your story, people are going to hear your story. Maybe it's somebody you know. Maybe it's somebody you don't know. But you are giving them courage upon courage upon courage. The courage that they need to do what you are doing. And that is getting better. Mm -hmm. That's what I hope. Mm-hmm. Leaving a healthy life, mm-hmm. leaving a good life. Thank you so, so, so much for being a part of of today, you know, and our latest from Darkness to Life podcast. Did I get it right this time? You nailed it, buddy. Okay. All right. <laughs> Last thing I want to say yes. is how proud I am of you. For sure. Hey, look at that smile from Rick, from Robin, <laughs> from Ryan. And in addition, um, we... We've been kind of surprised even at the analytics of our Facebook page and our, and our podcast and, and like 77% of our listeners or support comes from women between 35 and 45. It's not who we thought we were talking to that's mm-hmm. listening, right? Um, so like p- potentially your story means more to people than ours ever has, mm-hmm. right? I think that's important to note. And, and secondly, the thing that really jumped out at me that you were talking about more than any of it really was how hard you thought it would be versus how easy it is. Right. And 
it's it's scary. I I I know how scary it is to think about what my life would look like without substance in it. And by substance, I mean drugs and alcohol. But how much effort it takes to hold all that bullshit together. For sure, right? And 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 how easy it is to live without it, right? And and uh, there's a line in a text that we use, and it's uh, trying to find an easier, softer way, right? And and sobriety is the easier, softer way. It's so much easier to keep. And I'm yeah. There's nothing to keep track. We're not having to cover anything up. <laughs> well, and that's the thing about lying, right? I mean, after a while, I mean, you have to remember. What lie you told to who? That's the great thing about honesty. You don't have to remember any of that shit. You know? Uh, Rick, as always, thank you. Ryan, as always, thank you. Robin, again, the courage for wanting to share your story. Thank you so much. Um, my name is Poncho. This has been a, another OCJ podcast from Darkness to Life. Please, I encourage you to check out the Our Collective Journey Facebook page. Oh, wait. And I wrote it down here somewhere. I just can't... Get your, uh, get your glasses on. There it is. I put my reading glasses on. No, I can't. My penmanship's so poor. What's the name of your business? Oh, Bella's Barkery. Bella's Barkery. Yeah. There we are. All right. <laughs> Thank even, you. Even my kids eat those treats. <laughs> Hey, they're all natural. You should have brought some in. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Rick, Ryan, and Damien are here for you. Contact Our Collective Journey on Facebook at Our Collective Journey or on the web at ourcollectivejourney.ca. Hosted by Poncho Parker. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a Plugged In Media Network exclusive. Check out this and our other great podcasts at pymedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you.